to have this experience where they feel like they can relate to the human condition and, and having more sympathy and empathy for the others. Welcome to Oddly On Air, where we expand teaching and learning perspectives by connecting theory and practice through conversations with expert Westchester University faculty and members of the Office of Digital Learning and Innovation. And now to our hosts. Welcome, dear listeners. We're very excited to have you joining us today for another episode of Oddly On Air. My name is Dr. Tom Pantazis, and I am an instructional designer with the office. And sitting alongside me today, we have... Hi, everyone. It's Madison Steinbrenner, another instructional designer with ODLI. So, Madison, uh, we're pretty excited about this topic because we first found out about it at our Teaching with Technology Showcase back in the spring. (laughs) It was just a really kind of creative and interesting way to get students to experience something they might not otherwise be able to experience. And um, so I think we're pretty excited here to have our guests come on board and tell us all about this pretty fascinating simulation. So uh, with us today is Dr. Michelle Bratina. And welcome, Michelle. Good morning, and thank you for having me here. I'm excited. So um, can you just give us the uh, brief introduction to who you are and what you do here at Westchester University? Sure. So I am an associate professor in the criminal justice department. Um, prior to entering academia, my, my work experience, I was in Florida working for the state judicial circuit 19 for county area in the capacity of forensic and children's mental health coordinator. So I teach a couple of different classes, but my primary focus is on a a course that I created titled Forensic Mental Health. And it's unique in a criminal justice program. There aren't that many programs across the United States where they have this type of class. So I get a really amazing opportunity to introduce our criminal justice majors and others. My course is general education, so it's open outside the major, but primarily criminal justice majors. I get an amazing opportunity to expose them to cross-disciplinary concepts, ideas, theories, a general understanding of people with mental illness from a perspective of a criminal justice practitioner and how they could potentially be a po- be positive change agents when they go out into the field. I feel very lucky to have the opportunity to bring in what I've done in the past in the field into the classroom. And I think the students are excited about it. It's a pretty popular course. So in my work life is when where I discovered this particular simulation that I think we're going to be talking about this morning. Can you describe that simulation that you use in class for us? Absolutely. So when I was in Florida, I was invited to attend crisis intervention team training program. Really brief. It's a 40-hour training that's... Wait, brief is 40 hours? (laughs) A really brief description, I should say, of the program. (laughs) I won't go into too much detail, but um, it's 40 hours. It's The traditional model is referred to as the Memphis model because that's where it was born, the idea with the police chief and and, uh, some other folks in the community. Anyway, it's called CIT or Crisis Intervention Team 
and it's across the nation and outside of the U.S. as well. But my employer, my boss at the time, Dr. George Woodley, who near and dear to my heart, my inspiration, he invited me to go. He had uh, me fill a spot. So it was me and essentially a bunch of police officers for an entire week, 40 hours. And during that experience, I was exposed to Dr. Patricia Deegan's hearing voices that are distressing. Uh, I guess they called it a workshop at the time. Dr. Deegan is a clinical psychologist, but is also a person with lived experience of schizophrenia. So she's also a voice hearer. And so she, meaning audit, she experiences with her disorder auditory hallucinations, which is a common symptom of schizophrenia. And anyway, she designed this training simulation slash workshop so that others would have the opportunity to walk in the shoes of someone who has the experience. So she does talk about first responders, including police, and how essential it is to expose them to this type of thing. So that's where I was first exposed to this simulation and the idea of it. And what it involves is uh, four stations, workstations. So wherever you're holding the simulation or the training, you're setting up a few stations that involve tasks. And you, as the participant in the simulation, will put on um, an audio headset, earbuds, whatever the person uses. And the, pr- the process, actually, the audio itself is about 40 to 50 minutes, so just short of an hour. For all four stations? So you are supposed to try to get to all four stations, but the audio itself, the recording Plays is... the whole time. Yes. Okay. Um, and so that's what I was originally exposed to, and I remember thinking, and I was listening to the audio, which is supposed to simulate the voice hearing experience. And it's distressing. It's emotional. And I was listening and walking through the the course of the stations with police officers, like I said, and it was just so surreal to me. I thought, and I remember thinking at the moment, wow, if I do go back to the classroom, this would be an incredible thing to expose my students to. So so let's unpack that. Why, Why was that in that moment? You're going, oh my gosh, like this would be so powerful for students. Because coming from the criminal justice perspective, when I took on that position, I knew that traditionally speaking, criminal justice practitioners, which in this case would be our students eventually, potentially, they don't have insight to this, which is why it seems that we hear about stories where things don't actually go right mm-hmm. during these encounters. Mm-hmm. Not just with the police, but in the jails and the prisons throughout the whole process. So I just remember thinking, if we could let them live that life, even just for a moment, they might be more compassionate, empathetic, and perhaps some of these encounters would actually go very well. And that's just where my thoughts were at the time. So you just touched on one of the uh, theoretical pieces from some of the uh, articles that we found around this topic. And one of those was for students who engage in a simulation like that. Is it increases their empathy for folks that are experiencing schizophrenia. Um, so when we do that here in the podcast, anytime there's that theoretical <laughs> connection, we have the sound effect. And, like a light bulb going yes. on. Everyone always gets so excited. That was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so how have students responded to the simulation so far? So far, 
overwhelmingly positive. Um, sure, there ha- over the years, because I have been using it, so I was at Shippensburg University previously, mm-hmm. and I've int- I introduced it there. So it's been, what, ten, almost 10 years. Um, so you've been using this simulation in your teaching yes. for a decade at this point. So almost or, a decade, almost because a decade. I started in 2013, okay. and I brought it into the classroom immediately. Over, again, overwhelmingly positive. There have been times over the years where there might be a handful of students who experience some anxiety mm-hmm. during the uh, simulation, and I, it's always voluntary. So I tell them, you know, you could take off the earbuds anytime. You could stop it, pull out anytime. But as I told them, there have been times over the years before I came into the classroom with it as the person, the facilitator, before that when I was a participant, because I was exposed to it a couple of times, I didn't get to that, um, where I actually just hit stop and walked around acting as though I was still listening to it because of the crowd or whoever I was in, but just because it, it, it made me a little anxious myself because you start to think, and this is what the students say, wow, I can turn this off. For people who really are living this experience, they can. And yeah. that is something that just moves them to the point where some of them get anxious because of that thought. Um, and the voices in the simulation in the package from uh, Dr. Deegan, some of them are very cruel. And as she explains, because there's a few videos that she has, you can show your, your participants before they actually uh, sit through the simulation, she talks about that and how hearing voices is um, a different experience for everyone. It's not a shared thing. So for some, the voices are calming and others, they're cruel. So the simulation tries to cover that spectrum? Yes. Part of so it? it's okay. all across the spectrum. So there's the students are, they get the, the comments. So what I do is uh, there's a debriefing piece after, and I get them to kind of write their, their thoughts on three different Uh, in three different aspects. Uh, One of them is coping. How did they cope? One of them is just what the overall experience was like for them. And then um, how might they potentially use this in the future? So they're commenting on that, and then we talk about it. And they say things, first of all, like you said about empathy. They feel like they understand it better. They feel like they have uh, more knowledge now and that they will be more patient. So there's that empathy and then there's that compassion. And you hear the students over the course of the decade that I've been doing this, their comments speak for themselves that they feel they'll be more patient when they're working with someone who's not responsive to them. Mm-hmm. And and what, how does that patience play out in the in the real world for those students when dealing with with folks that have schizophrenia so you know a lot of criminal justice or uh, let's just focus on policing for a moment is issuing commands Mm -hmm. so stop identify yourself who are you what are you doing here and so the patience piece you know when you're asking people when you're issuing commands like that and they're not responding to you the students will express after the simulation, well, maybe it's because they're living this experience. And so I need to be more patient and de-escalate rather than escalate the situation by pausing, by saying to them, is there something, is there something going on? Is there something you want to talk to me about? Or um, just, they just get this pause and realizing that there may be something else going on and it's not disrespect. 
Same thing for correctional staff who also have sat in on these simulations. Well, maybe why isn't this person incarcerated not listening to me, not doing what I've asked them to do? So is it correct for me to say that folks that are experiencing schizophrenia in those instances are having a tough time concentrating on the request, the command? So I should have used that language because that is a big piece. All right, so... Difficult to concentrate. That was another one of our... I was trying to see if we could get there, and we did. I wasn't getting there without... I needed your assistance. (laughs) But yes, lack of... Difficult to concentrate, difficult to focus. These are the comments the students make after. And so it helps them understand that challenge of that other person. Yes. And again, tying back to that, that empathy. So concentration is difficult. Focus is difficult. Um, focusing on task, they feel like it would be more difficult to be distracted. Lots of distraction with this. And as you can imagine how that might play out in a situation where a person is a potential offender or perpetrator. Yeah. So you described when students are listening to the audio they go around to different stations. Can you describe what happens at those stations? Yes. So there's four, as I said. So, But the first station is, uh, it's an instructional card. So the person will go to station one, pick up a card. It tells them what to do. And that could be anywhere from stand in the back of the classroom and count the number of desks. This, I think, gets at concentration mm-hmm. and ability to focus. Or... At SHIP, I used to let them walk out. It said walk outside the building and count the blue cars in the parking lot, um, just things to kind of get them on task. Or go one of the very my favorite cards in the deck are go out to the hallway and ask someone how to get to the library or ask them where the restroom is so you're interacting with people. And I've heard amazing feedback on that one. In fact, people walking in the hallway sometimes will be faculty in mm-hmm. criminal justice, and they'll say, what were you doing with your students? I, I couldn't get them to give, make eye contact with me. So there's a lot of observations I've gotten. One of them is a cognitive testing center. So the facilitator will time them, and they uh, give them, it comes with the package, a word search and a number search, which are already difficult. Mm-hmm. So especially <laughs> when you're listening to the audio, it becomes very very difficult, and they own, they have to get so many under the, uh, the time circumstances. Then there's a psychological assessment where a person plays the psychologist who calls them into the ER, um, and you have a whole setup, and one by one they ask them some questions that are on a script. And they're complicated questions. A lot of them are asking about history. And then finally, there's a day treatment center where you have a couple of different facilitators and they're having them do things like origami. So again, it's all about concentration and tasks. Do you have to bring other people in to help run the simulation? So I do. Um, And that's been a challenge. It's less of a challenge, but still. um, So students who opt out, because I give them the opportunity, obviously, to opt out, I will invite them to help me. And then I tell them they can add it on their resume is that they helped facilitate this nationally known training and they like that. So that doesn't become problematic then. And they, I think it's interesting you mentioned too that like some people, faculty coming around will brush against the simulation as it's going through and then those students who choose for whatever reason not to participate with the headsets on still get to see some of that experience and see Mm -hmm. how their peers. So I think it's really great how this simulation is set up in a way to really bring others into it without actually experiencing it. So, Oh, I agree. And I have had such positive uh, feedback and comments from others who have just been observers. 
So what do you see as the benefits of the simulation? So I think I see it the same way as Patricia Deegan, Dr. Deegan did when she created it. And that would be first increasing knowledge, understanding and empathy toward individuals with this experience who have the voice hearing experience or other mental health, serious mental health conditions that might make it difficult for them to communicate. And on the other side of it, um, so the increases in knowledge, increases in empathy, increasing empathy, but then also I see the benefit as reductions in stigma, which is interesting because over the years that when I have been collecting data, most of the time the questions that I'm asking on the surveys or what have you indicate a reduction in stigma, stigmatizing views, less fear, less need for social distancing, okay? That's awesome. So what are your future plans with the simulation? I mean, besides changing things up possibly based on the data that you get, any future ideas? So I, when I was presenting this last semester um, in the distance learning, uh, you know, in the crowd there. Teaching with Technology Showcase. <laughs> Thank you. Teaching with Technology Showcase, which I should know, um, which was an incredible opportunity. But some ideas were introduced to me, and that, w- that was collaborating with others outside of criminal justice, so other academics, um, maybe nursing. Nursing probably makes the most sense, which is interesting because most of the pub- published work using the simulation comes from the field of nursing. So definitely some collaboration in Westchester University and maybe even outside and introducing students other than criminal justice students, and again, maybe community members making the training or the simulation larger, having more people exposed. The thought process would be to kind of create our own simulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be incredible because I have been using Dr. Deegan's for a long time, but to my knowledge, that's the only one I'm aware of that has this type of so I think it would be interesting to create one. Sounds yeah. like a great project for some sort of like senior seminar class to be like, we're going to take this class and we're going to build a simulation a sim- here. So they do the research on terms of like what needs to be in it and how to structure it. And then at the end, they walk away saying like, we built this thing that mm-hmm. you can then turn around and use. That would be an amazing experience. I would love to be a part of that. Yeah. Yes. Cool. All right, Madison, let's uh, summarize this real quick. Dr. Bertina shared how she found Patricia Deegan's Hearing Voices That Are Distressing workshop, which allows others to experience what it is like to live with schizophrenia. During the simulation, participants try to complete tasks at four stations while they listen to 40 to 50 minutes of audio that mimic what it is like to have voices in your head. Students develop greater empathy, compassion, and patience through the experience, helping to prepare them to be better criminal justice professionals. And let's not forget that other benefits include building knowledge and reducing stigma. What is one resource or teaching tip that you would like to share with everyone? And I will put you on the spot. <laughs> Take your time. We will edit out the silence. Okay, good. For an hour. Um, <laughs> my idea with this, my recommendation... There seems to be an increasing amount of anxiety and mental health among our students and faculty. 
I feel like we need to do more in terms of navigating that in a positive way. So through these experiential learning types of situations, I feel like we're allowing our students as a whole to develop a sense of understanding and compassion again that is so necessary. So my teaching tip or tips would be to do more of that, to make it real for the students so that they grow and they understand what it might be like to step in someone else's shoes because I'm only seeing more of it where people are struggling and especially on campus. And I feel like we can't do ever do enough to, to keep the empathy, to, to maintain empathy. So to create more situations for students to experience others experiences. Yes. So to be more, to learn that empathetic skill. Right. Especially in fields where traditionally that's been a problem, Mm -hmm. um, like criminal justice. I feel like it's so necessary. Madison, do you have a resource or teaching tip? Yeah. um, My tip is a little basic. Just um, I recently had a faculty reach out about trying to change up discussion boards and they wanted to integrate FLIP, which was formerly known as Flipgrid, as you might know. Um, And it was just a good way to kind of change things up within the course and have students engage in discussion, but through a different type of media by filming themselves answering questions. So if you're interested in using that and you're not sure how to use it, you've never used it before, don't worry. Reach out to your instructional designer. We'll help you with that. Um, But yeah, it's just a good tip to change things up in your course. Tom, would you like to share a tip? I would. (laughs) Um, And I think I'm just going to use the example we just had a moment ago about how if you have this thing that you're doing, like a simulation, and then you take that opportunity to share through one of our activities like the Teaching with Technology Showcase, there's that opportunity to start seeing more of those collaborative experiences, whether it's with colleagues in other departments or to have a conversation with someone with the Office of Digital Learning and Innovation and, and who can say, and I know I did this for you. It was like, well, have you thought about taking the, the file and putting it on a different delivery mechanism and then change it. Like you start to have those synergies and come up with new ideas that keep moving things forward. So my encouragement to our, our listeners is you're probably doing something like this already. Start telling some folks about it, whether it be your assigned instructional designer or <laughs> put yourself into a scenario where you do the teaching with technology showcase. So you can talk to other, to other colleagues. Thank you, Michelle for being here today and for sharing uh, about the simulation and just giving us a, a taste for something uh, I don't, uh, it's very different in the sense of like lots of disciplines. I don't see them being like, yeah, let's use a schizophrenia simulation. And however, I, I do uh, love how it just kind of opens up that opportunity to talk about how we can be bringing in simulations that build that empathy. Cause I'm sure there are lots of opportunities across disciplines to do similar oriented things. So we appreciate you being here today and sharing about that. I appreciate you, the invitation. So thank you. And thank you listener for being with us today. Uh, As always, if you have any interest in being a future guest, or if you have any suggestions for a future topic, we are always interested in those things. And you can email us at distanced at wcupa.edu to let us know. 
Uh, we would also appreciate if you could like and subscribe our podcast. Uh, we're, we're doing great. We have some good numbers, but we can always use some more. Thanks for joining us today. Stay odd. Thank you.